My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was on the inside most of my life just uh, most of my life I just felt like my place fell outside you know due to whatever reason I, I just never really felt like I came from anywhere or like I belonged somewhere you know I've called different places my home or my hometown, but really, that's just because I decided that. I don't, I don't feel that's not like some kind of identity that I share. You know? and it's not like we were a military family or something and moving around all the time. I hear about that. It's, but there, you know, there were major moves to new towns at, at key moments of my life, uh, and of course, you know. The timing of things like immaturity or adolescence, identity crises, combined with big moves, that's that can make a person feel pretty pretty far out there. Um, and of course, you know, colossally poor decisions don't help either. <laughs> when I sing, when I sing in the song "Burning Clean," uh, warming by the fires of bridges burning, I don't mean that in a good way. Okay. You know, even and and even in good times when things are rolling, you know, things are are up. I uh, I always feel a kind of like a looming exclusion, just just around the corner. You know, that that dread of wearing out my welcome, um, and then when the worm turns on those good times. When I have worn out my welcome and the bad times take over, whew, let's just say I've, uh, you know, I've gotten as dark as it gets, but uh, that's what happens. That's what happens when you feel disconnected from the people you find yourself around. You know, there's a reason why we, we need that. And, uh, I don't know. That's why that's, it's, it's, it's why true friendship is so valuable, isn't it? I know, I know. It seems a bit dramatic from a guy who's happily married and, 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 and walking in the faith still to this day. But I want to be honest, and I'm just doing that now. And I intend to continue to do so. There are times when all of those great things don't they just can't match uh, what's going on in my head. Um, but tonight, you know, tonight. Listen, don't get me wrong. I know that God can heal people, and He, he has He has healed a lot of things in my life. I'm just saying, there's just times when it's tough, man. And uh, but you know, there's also times when you gotta you gotta wake up. You gotta step up, and you gotta do something. I mean, I've, I've been made alive again. I've been given the power to, to, uh, I don't know, stand up. And uh, so, you know, I'm gonna do that uh, right now. Tonight, I'm gonna attempt 
another move, but this one I want to I want to move the outside in. I want to create my own inside, if you will. You know? It is my sincere hope that uh, you know you'll enjoy the show, of course, but that in the future you'll join me, and in in uh, and I mean that in the very near future. I've mentioned it over and over again. My goal of an ongoing conversation, I've, I've said it a million times, but I'm going to keep banging that drum. It's my drum. You know, My desire is to, is to talk about what's on your mind, and I realize that you can't just throw that out there. You know, if it's, We're learning, learning how to do this show. Uh, just keeping it so wide open, it's, you know... Not the best option. So, you know, I'm, I'm attempting to sort of break the ice tonight, okay? Uh, tonight, I want to talk about experiences, okay? We're uh, we're at the pub. We've just met. What's the show that changed your life, made you want to be in a band? What's the movie that, that, that affected change in your life outside of, 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 uh, of the theater and, and just in your everyday living? What are uh, what, what are what are some books that sort of change your outlook on the world? You know, anything like that. I just uh, I, I figure tonight I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple things out there, do some sharing of my own. You know, I'll jump in the fire first, and then uh, it is my sincere hope that you will respond. Not only with your own opinions, maybe about what I share this evening, but, but with some of your own experiences. You know, that is the goal. And uh, I, st- I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be good for us. <laughs> it's going to be good for me. <laughs> broaden my perspective, and hopefully broaden yours. You know. Not trying to come in heavy-handed. I just uh, I'm the dude sitting at the pub, wondering if there's anybody interesting in here. So, what you got? But first, once again, this show is brought to you by American Dance Party, an independent apparel company that uses sweatshop-free products. Passionate about and fully committed to their convictions of not exploiting fellow human beings, which would suck. Uh, And also helping others through what they do. ADP is not a charity, but it is a way of life and love that should exist in everything we do as human beings. Running a business should be no different. A dollar should not be placed higher than a life. In their own words, we pray that what we do might inspire you to find what you can do. And if we can help you look good while on your journey, bonus. Here, contemplate the meta unfolding before you. Right now, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a flannel on the back of which says, when you grow up, your heart dies. Now, if you know what that means, I want you to, I want you to settle down center yourself and think how amazing it will be if you were wearing that thing while listening to this because if so if you get it you're in 
You know the secret handshake. And I want you to be in. I want you here. AmericanDanceParty.com Show them some love. Show them some love. So what no one tells you about touring in a rock and roll band is it's super boring most of the time. Okay. I mean, even as busy as, as, as uh, my band Saves Acre was for most of the time we were on the road, there's like three or four hours of each day where you have a purpose and you are a human being that's interacting with other human beings that aren't in your band. And then literally the rest of the time, you're pretty much just sitting somewhere staring, you know, be it in, um, in the, in a stinky van with stinky dudes, you know, driving through uh, barren wastelands where it's just like literally a, a plane before you and behind you. And, you know, an hour in could go past and, and you wouldn't even think you've, you'd, you'd moved, you know, except that you see them little, little street markers and it's just uh it's boring okay two tours uh into the life of staves acre i was bored out of my mind mile after mile of highway just sitting in that van staring off into oblivion you know after the first couple tours magazines i could care less you know they hold no appeal. It's like the second you, you purchase one, it's in your hand and in, in your mind, you're thinking wasted money because I'm not going to care about this in about 40 minutes. Uh, newspapers, even less, you know, very little beyond five minutes of light reading. Bored. I will say when I was, when we were touring uh, in the winter time during football season, it was like a minor relief for me. Okay. Because every Monday morning, I would actually have something to read uh, in the USA Today. That was my goal. Find a USA Today. It's got the sweet, you know, sports section with color and all the all the stats. And my nerdy fantasy football brain could check out for a while. Um, now, of course, there are websites that do that for you. And that fun is gone. That has died. Anyway, uh, I was pretty, I was pretty hardcore about those newspapers, you know. I was also not a real responsible driver. And, um, well, one early morning in the middle of who knows where, um, I just had to catch up on football and, and, and all the scores and the stats. Uh, but there was just one problem. Okay. My turn to drive. Everybody else is asleep. I'm driving. We're in the middle of nowhere. I'm a stubborn dude who doesn't really think things through. Anyway, um, yeah, I read that sucker anyway. I unfolded it, laid it out on top of the steering wheel, and just kind of peripherally kept my eye sort of on the road. And uh, I, you know how you feel someone staring at you? 
I mean, I don't know how long this went on. Probably not very long, but I could feel someone staring at me. And I just, out of corner of my eye, I, I look over and I see Baloo. And the look on his face is just, his eyes are so wide. And he's not saying a word. He's not mad. He's not laughing. He's just got this shocked, comical look on his face. And I, you know, oh, 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 yeah, I should probably put that away. Yeah, yeah. You should put that away, man. You're, uh, you're reading while you're driving. Oopsie. Needless to say, this did, uh, this did not give my bandmates uh, a lot of faith in, you know, in my driving abilities. Anyway, okay. So, we take this trip to... Uh, Scandinavia, actually. Uh, we were in Denmark. Uh, we knew we were going to, by some kind of weird circumstances, we end up stuck in Denmark for a week with really nothing going on. And, uh, I mean, you're in Denmark. It's, it's, uh, it's not like you can just walk down the street and grab a newspaper or walk down the street and grab a magazine, you know? And um, I just, I was kind of going stir crazy and I was probably driving the guys nuts and, uh, I mean, I had just, I just couldn't take it anymore. But, uh, Baloo, Jeff Baloo, again, yet again, uh, came to the rescue. And he's like, you know, basically, in no certain terms, you know, quit bugging him and, and, and moping around and go down and find yourself an English, uh, a book printed in English and read a book. You know, actually read something. See, uh. Jeff was a big reader. He was reading all the time. Um, and he actually, he was also a, a huge Stephen King fan. And, uh, you know, for myself, I, I just had kind of forgotten about reading, if you will. You know, in high school, I read a lot. But afterwards, I just, you know, I was so distracted with everything else. I just kind of, kind of dropped it. And, um, you know, Baloo just said, man, go down there, get yourself a book. You know, well, I don't know. I don't know what to read, you know, just like a freaking child. And uh, he suggested Stephen King. He's like, you know, see, he's got a lot of books. There'll be lots of stuff for you, you know, to have access to. And maybe you'll like them. You know, now for me, there was always this kind of stigma with Stephen King uh, for obvious reasons. But especially growing up in the in the 70s and the 80s, you know, uh, Hell's Bells and, and Stephen King were like two peas in a pod, you know, just... I just, I always, there was always kind of like, ah, I don't, I don't want to read that, you know, but I mean, I got, I got Blue telling me to check him out. Even Sam West, who's also a huge Stephen King fan. I was like, no, dude, you'll like him. So I gave it a shot and, um, I went down to this bookstore and I found myself a copy of The Shining and, uh, I decided I would see how it suited me. Um, and you know what, man, I got hooked. I got stuck. I could, I, I, I could not. I couldn't get enough. There was something about the way he wrote that, and he still still does this, not, maybe not as as wonderfully, to my opinion, as, as he did before. But, you know, he had this way of kind of building this community. And, and as soon as you're reading a, the book, regardless of what the story was, you felt like you kind of knew the characters. You felt like you knew these people. You felt part of something, you know, you 
it was instantly familiar. So no matter where I'm at, I, I could just pop open a, a Stephen King novel and just kind of go for it. And it was entertaining. It was fun. Um, but, you know, this, uh, I had gone through a few and, and uh, you know, uh, right after the, right after the, the, the Shining, I was like, I kind of dig this guy, you know. Um, Baloo's giving me all these suggestions. And then um, he's like, you know, you need to check out The Stand. I think you're going to really dig The Stand. And uh, I'm like, well, that's a pretty big book. <laughs> it's like, okay, read the abridged version first. You know, if you like it, then you can always read the unabridged version and it'll be sort of like a bonus. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I gave it a shot. I kind of, I dig the dystopian, you know, it's all over kind of thing. So I, I cracked it open. I started reading and I'm telling you, uh, if I was already kind of a fan, this book like made me a fan for life. There was something about it that was so unexpected. I mean, yes, it's still got all the same familiar kind of character settings and vibes. Um, and it does have a, a, an awesome premise, you know, super flu sweeps the earth, kills everybody. But, you know, there was more going on. And I, I, uh, there's this consistent presence of a kind of a, a spirituality and Christianity, frankly, that was there that, and I had not anticipated that in any way. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us across the prairie into this place where the mountains begin. Please take care of us in the days and weeks to come and help us to love one another and do your will, however hard it may sometimes seem to us. So, yeah, I was not ready for that, okay? Now, obviously, that's not from the book. Um, it's from the made-for-TV movie, which was really not good. But, you know, here's this character in this story, and I just, you know, I don't know, man. I, I'm so used to um, uh, people of my faith being portrayed as lunatics that I, it was like out of left field. I was not expecting that, you know. It's usually one or the other. It's a... Uh, Here's this crazy person, and that's a Christian, you know? Uh, and it's always some nut who's, I don't know, off in left field speaking crazy doctrine. Or then flip it around, and it's it's uh, the evil person, you know, the Christian guy turns out to be the the evil person all along. And, and that just didn't happen in this story. And I, it kind of opened my eyes to like, hey... You know, not everything is as it seems. And I think it kind of started this little, I don't know, turned this light on for me. So so later on, um, when I read Addicted to Mediocrity, a book I've mentioned multiple times uh, by Frankie Schaefer, it just, it clicked. Like, ah, oh, that's what he's talking about right here. Yeah, maybe a little more linear than uh, he was aiming for. But anyway, um, I, I want to make one quick note, though. Uh, that made-for-TV movie, uh, terrible, horrible. Uh, 
uh, but some great casting. You got you got Gary Sinise as as uh, the quiet you know lead Stu Redman. You got Molly Ringwald as this kind of really nervous and also pregnant um, young kid. I mean Molly Ringwald really seriously. And then um, perhaps one of the most brilliant casting moves of all time. The uh, what's what's a good incendiary character? The trash can man. Trashy, what do you have there? The big one. Fire. The A-bomb. The fire for you. Listen to me, Trash. You have to get that away. It's dangerous. Can you tell who that was? Does that voice sound even... Kind of familiar to you? It should. It really should. Still alive out there? Good. This is Max. 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 80s icon Max Headroom makes a guest appearance as the trash can man in an otherwise kind of forgettable made-for-TV movie um, that came from a great book. So yeah, you know, Uncle Stevie, he's got uh, he's got a thing for God. I don't know what it is, you know. Uh, he's also got a thing for emotions and for 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 pulling on them heartstrings, if you will, you know. You don't think so? I, I I I defy you to uh, to watch the Shawshank Redemption or Stand by Me or the Green Mile and uh, tell me that guy doesn't know how to how to move people's hearts around. But here's the thing: that wasn't the revelation. I mean, S- Stephen King. Stephen King definitely had an impact on me. Definitely was part of the changing of the course of my life, but really what what it was was books, you know? I mean, if it's not for Jeff Ballou, if it's not for Stephen King, um, I don't fall in love with books again, probably. And, um, or at least I don't in the same way. And, you know, I fell in love with them and I ended up writing one. And I would say that that I could kind of take that all back to uh, being stuck in a van in uh, bored out of my mind and then stuck in a hostel in uh, 
Denmark and rediscovering um, this this powerful thing called books. So uh, thank you, Baloo, and, and thank you, Uncle Stevie. I write for only two reasons, to please myself and to please others. In returning to this long tale of dark Christianity, I hope I have done both. Stephen King, October 24th, 1989. 1989? Oh, I'm sorry. Did someone mention the 80s? As I remember being in high school, the firm and well-founded belief was that no one understood me. No one. Parents, teachers, pastors, cops, uh, other kids, uh, you know, especially the girls that I was interested in. Nobody got me. But but more than anyone, it was the parents. I mean, the parents and the, and, and the grown-ups, they just don't they, they don't know. They lost touch somewhere. I remember having these brief epiphanies. Is, you know, you're sitting there in class. You're like, how could no one see this? How could no one see this? I mean, a teacher who's a jerk, okay? But is a teacher and therefore all potential grown-ups who could step in and stop said jerk from being a jerk, uh, they give them benefit of the doubt. And so the kids just sit there and suffer. You know that teacher. You had that teacher. And if you if you lived anywhere like where I lived, you know who else had? You had, you had those parents that did and said crazy shit to their kids. I mean, I watched some of my best friends get thrown across rooms, okay? Then I had I had parents who would literally just like like verbally and physically check out from a kid's life and let him know that's what I'm doing. You know? And speaking of checking out, I mean, what? who was asleep at the wheel when they decided everyone should uh, disrobe in the middle of puberty in a high school locker room? You know, you... You go to school and there's always that there's that week where they put they really put the screws to you, you know. Like, what are you gonna do with the rest of your life, kid? What are you gonna do? How you gonna put that question to me? You know? Not all this works for everybody. And the thing is, the people who could actually answer that question, they already knew what they were gonna do. They've known it for years. That's just who they are. So you're literally this, this guidance counselor, that's a job that has absolutely no purpose. <laughs> Except for cruelty. Torture. Here's a little pressure that you can carry around with you for the next two years of your life. Which, by the way, you'll look back on and say, gosh, I wish I'd have enjoyed that more. <laughs> and by the way, what do they take away? What do they take away right at the same time? You used to be able to come home, watch a little afternoon cartoons or something, relax. That's your safe place, right? Yeah, come high school, at least for me, I got home and, well, they got them too. Forget it, man. They locked us out five minutes ago. Oh, I get it, baby. I'm 
<laughs> Sitting on the outside, looking in on the rest of the world. At least the rest of the world, according to Chips, Ponch, and John. Can't believe you guys let me down like that. But you know, that's the way it was. Grown-ups letting you down. At least until the day I saw a movie restored my faith that uh, not all the grown-ups were hopeless. How are we supposed to know? We're not supposed to move, right? Why? We're just sitting here, like we're supposed to. Who closed that door? I think a screw fell out of it. Just closed, sir. Who? She doesn't talk, sir. Give me that screw. I don't have it. You want me to yank you out of that seat and shake it out of you? I don't have it. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. Give it to me, Bender. Excuse me, sir. Why would anybody want to steal a screw? Watch it. The door's way too heavy, sir. Oh, yeah, the Breakfast Club. It's been said a million times before, but I'll say it again because, you know what, it's my show. When the late, great John Hughes made movies, he got it. He got teenagers, and it was important. I mean, I'm not trying to eulogize him. I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, you know, when he, when he wrote it, um, he, he, he understood. He understood what it was like then. The perils of being a dork. The appeal of being an oddball. Uh, the awesomeness that was being your own person. You know, those, those brief moments where you discovered that. And, uh, of course, all the sweet justice. Let him go. Why don't you do something right for once in your life? I'm not forget it's worth it. She can't talk to him. What do you want? You know what I want. Okay. Okay, you want me back? I'm back. <laughs> Come on, it's not that easy. You're gonna have to convince me. I want you to beg. Let him go. Come on, you're a beg. Beg. Oh. Bastard. You're gonna have to beg. I don't think it's gonna be necessary. No, I didn't know Jens lived in a hen house. Did you know that? Jeez. Must be a hen house, because I don't see nothing but chicken shit. I don't want any trouble with you, all right? My parents are going to be home in a little while. You leave now, and we'll forget everything. Right, let's just cut the bullshit. All right, please? I'm here to wipe the floor with your ass, and you know it, and everybody knows it, and you deserve it. I think it's safe to say that this party is about to become a historical fact. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Yes, indeed. John Hughes. That guy got me. And based on the fact that those movies are still considered classics, you got a lot of other people, too. Listen, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I'll say this. It helped me. That dude helped. He helped me. 
helped with the whole uh, feeling outside, you know? You see some of those movies and you're like, man, somebody gets it. Somebody gets it. It helped more than, you know. And now, all the way from the hills of Holly Weird, welcome And finally, I come to the music. Oh, man. You know, being on the outside, it gives you a lot of time. It gives you a lot of time to listen. Listen to the jams. For me, um, I don't know, it was a way to feel connected to others. Complete strangers. Uh, especially at times when I didn't feel connected to anyone, you know? It's the ironic thing about uh, the whole hipster element of music. It alienates the very people who who used to be able to hide in music, you know? The dopes, the dorks, the schmucks, <laughs> the rainbows. Anyway, you know, um, for me, I don't know, for me, music was like, I, I, I always saw it as something more than just the song on the radio, you know, or a song on, on, my, on my record player. It was... It was a, a shared moment with, uh, with real emotions that were shared uh, that came as a result of those songs because those songs sort of generate emotion, hopefully. Uh, and at times shared beliefs, be they spiritual or just, you know, day-to-day things. You know, it's just like that kind of that you meet eyes with somebody and you know, yeah, man, I'm right there with you, you know. Uh, and when the when the music played uh, over a loudspeaker or whatever, it just there was something about it that that brought people together. Now, I have spoken at length about you two, yes, okay. And if you hate them, I'm sorry that you do, but it's my show, so deal with it. Um, and in the context of this episode, I, I'm not really focusing on you two per se, although I kind of am, I guess. I, I'm focusing on this one song, you know, this one song kind of changed my perception of, of what music could be. I mean, I always, I dug the intensity of, of, uh, of, of a bunch of different bands throughout the years, you know, um, but, and I, I, I dug the lyrics of, of certain groups and, and, uh, the playing of, of certain musicians, but this one song, um, I don't know. There's something about it that has just always stuck with me. You know, the song is bad. Uh, and it, in particular, the version that comes on uh, wide awake in America, which was like this little four song EP that was released between unforgettable fire and the Joshua tree, which for a kid like myself seemed like an eternity, by the way. Um, but it's, it's just such a beautiful track. And, and if you hang with me, you'll see, You'll see where I'm going and 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 what it's meant in my life, um, in in major ways that I probably, I don't know, that I never, well, that I certainly never would have expected. 
So it's 1985, and uh, a lonely little kid named Rainbow is laying on the floor of his bedroom, drawing. You know, this is the this is the summer that I I discovered music. Really, I mean, it's the summer I discovered punk rock. It's the year before the summer before I I, I met the guys in the Crucified, and uh, I'm still not at a point where I can really imagine. A performance like this and being a part of it uh, as a musician but the idea that someday maybe I could see him play it just planted a seed you know and it was it was it, it never left my mind just one day I want to be there with all these people and singing all these parts and literally not giving a damn whether or not anybody approves or not just wanted to do it. sure later in my life I'm going to come to appreciate different styles of music certainly more intense music you know the minor threats the bad brains the misfits the slayers I, I that all comes later though you know during this time there were other bands that were that were singing the anthems of the 80s you know for instance the Simple Minds Jam I played earlier but you know Depeche Mode Duran Duran uh I don't know, Tears for Fears. You know, a lot of bands were writing these anthems, but um, this song is why they were writing them, in, in my opinion. This band is why they were writing them. So, you know, it takes 15 years later, I finally get to see him play. <laughs> um, and not under the circumstances that I had hoped for, but, uh, you know... Not under the circumstances anyone had hoped for. Going outside today. Other than that, it's kind of quiet around the country. We like quiet. It's quiet. It's too quiet. Number two. Yeah. 
This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. Fire crews are descending on this area. It, it, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Has just I did not see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming in from the side. You did. Good evening, and uh, welcome to The Daily Show. Uh, we are back. Uh, this is our first show since uh, the tragedy in New York City, and uh, uh, I'm, there's no other way really to start the show than, than to ask uh, you at home the question that, that we asked the audience here tonight and that we've asked uh, everybody that we know here in New York uh, since uh, uh, September 11th, and that is, are you okay? And we pray that you are and that your family is. Uh, uh, I'm sorry to do this to you. To, 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 it's, it's another entertainment show beginning with uh, an overwrought speech of, of a shaken host. And uh, uh, television is nothing if not redundant. So uh, I apologize for that. It's something that, unfortunately, we do for ourselves so that we can drain whatever abscess is in our hearts and move on to, uh, to the business of making you laugh, which, uh, which we haven't been able to do very effectively lately. Um, everyone's checked in already. I know we're late. Uh, I'm sure we're, we're getting in right under the wire before the cast of Survivor offers their insight <laughs> into... Uh, uh, what to do in these situations. Uh, they said to get back to work. And uh, uh, there were no jobs available for uh, a man in the fetal position under his desk crying, <laughs> uh, which I gladly would have taken. Yes, I went there. Don't worry, this is not my... Uh this is not my 9-11 episode or anything. I just, you know, how can you not acknowledge the time? You know, how can you not acknowledge the setting when that's the backdrop? I mean, anyone listening to this remembers what it was like in those few days and weeks and months afterwards. You know, we stand in the grocery store, somebody right next to you, total strangers just start crying. You know, the sky was empty. There were no planes, man. It was like quiet and weird, even in Los Angeles. I mean, I would be driving down the street behind a car, see an American flag and tear up. I'm not even exaggerating. It just was so all-encompassing. And, you know, you can't stay like that forever. You got to try to get moving. Um but, you know, you also, you, that's the price you pay, man. That's, if you're going to have some empathy or some, have some compassion or, or you know, care, um, sometimes the price is, is, uh, is carrying that around for a little while, you know? Now, you know, I, the, the YouTube show that was, that was, happening was was big for a number of reasons i mean i obviously had wanted to see him my whole life as i've mentioned but they had also kind of moved on from the weird glitzy vegas thing that i had no interest in seeing um and they were kind of 
bringing it back to like this, like, you know, walking out with the house lights on and for U2 standards, a very stripped down show. Um, and they were playing, most importantly, they were playing all the songs that everyone who loved that band growing up loved. And all those things are true. But I have to say, you know, this is going to be kind of hack and kind of corny, but I just don't care. Um, I think there was a reason people wanted to go to that show. It's it's different. There were different than... You know, oh my gosh, man, some of these bands had come out with these like very, very, I'm sure well-intentioned, but ill-timed memorial songs. It just felt opportunistic and weird. But, you know, most of us had kind of grown up. We'd grown up with YouTube and we're familiar with, with, you know, Ireland and and the the tragedy surrounding them. So it was, it was like they had kind of in a way earned the opportunity to mourn with us. If that makes any sense, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a trust thing. You you don't just mourn with anyone. And, um, I mean, everybody knew the reputation of their shows anyway from back in the day and the fact that they were kind of heading back there. It was almost like this like renewed love affair with that f- strange gospel feel. And um, for me, it just, I felt like there was more to the show than just going to a show, you know? So, you know, I'm in... Uh, I'm at the Staples Center. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know how I got a ticket, honestly, because they did like three or four shows and they were all sold out. So thank you, Candice Garcia. She's the reason why I got to go to that show. Um, and, you know, me and my, my best friend, Rudy, and my buddy, D, like we all four went and uh, it was just more than I could imagine. <laughs> You know, it's one thing to earn the trust to mourn with the people. It's another thing entirely to deliver on that and and really give the people what they need. And I just, it's, there's no way words will describe it, but to be in that room with 20 something thousand people in the Staples Center and every one of them gives no D's and no F's. They just want to sing and they want to cry and they want to hold hands. And this is an acceptable forum in which to do so. So before I go back into the music, because I I, I found, (laughs) I think I found the show um, and, and the performance of the song bad that I've been wanting to play you. But Right before they played the song Please, which is off of their pop record, um, Bono, you know, he's, he's interacting with the crowd over and over again throughout the whole show. I mean, it's it's constant. There's flags being tied together and people being brought up on stage and serenaded. And it was incredible. But <clears throat> during this one in- address he had made to, to the crowd, he, he just said, um, you know, after everything that's happened, you know, uh, his wife had been listening to some of their music and she heard the song, please. And 
uh, she called him up all in a, in a, a hurry and just like, hey, you have to listen to this song, you know. Uh, the bridge of this song is kind of terrifying. So yeah, we you you hear these words, you hear just the significance for for, for better or for worse. It just it kind of hit home, and everyone, no one knows how to react. There's like rage, there's there's anger, there's um, frustration, there's sadness, of course, um, because we don't know how to do this, you know, and. and if we were in the presence or, or, or being entertained by someone else, I just don't know that it works the same way. But here, you know that these guys have gone through crazy things, you know? And you can trust them. And just when you think everybody is, is uh, going to spin out, things kind of change up. getting at here it's um it was an amazing experience and uh i don't intend to try to recapture the whole show or anything right now but i what my whole point was in, in, in including this um song and this experience was that i mean i am i've never felt more connected to a massive group of people in my life I didn't even I'd never felt like that before
And there you have it. The, uh, the song and the show that changed my life. Um, thanks for listening, you know. Thanks for hanging out and indulging me. Uh, and now it's your turn. My, my request to you is to respond. Shoot me an email, you know. 200 words or less. Tell me about the show that, that changed your life or the, the film that, that affected the way you, you see the world. Um, or, you know, anything. I mean, I'm not saying don't tell me about your kids. I'm just saying give me something that the rest of us can relate to, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know the address. And if you don't, just in case, it is the Twilight Zone at I Never Was dot com that's the twilight zone at i never was dot com you know shoot me an email tell me what's going on with you you can also uh get onto skype uh look for i never was on skype um you can search with that same email address if you want to do a phone interview with me and be on this show we can do that too that's the idea so once again the twilight zone at iNeverWas.com. You didn't think I was going to leave without letting you hear all them people sing again, did you? you didn't. Twilight Zone at iNeverWas.com. Uh, you can also hit me up on Facebook, but I'm just going to point you in that direction. Um, you know, please try and keep it under 200 words. I, I, it's hard to read them all, but I, I feel compelled. I want to read them all, and uh, I don't want to ignore anybody. So, um, yeah, keep them brief. And, and honestly, if you want to talk on the phone or you want to do a Skype interview or something, just tell me what you want to talk about and give me a little quick summary. And we can, uh, we can knock out a 15-minute interview, no problem. Um, as always, uh, this show was produced by Billy Power of the Urban Achiever podcast, whom you can find at UrbanAchieverShow.com or on Twitter at UrbanAchieverPC. And once again, brought to you in part by American Dance Party. That's right, American Dance Party, sweatshop free, and uh, close with a conscience. 
This show and every one of my other shows can be found at ineverwas.com. Just go to the podcast link. You can download it from there. Or you can go to iTunes. Uh, look up Never Was. Look up my name, Mark Solomon. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I've got to do a couple things just to be safe. Uh, you heard excerpts from The Stand by Stephen King. Uh, read by Grover Gardner. Um, and of course, there were some YouTube clips from the TV show. Um, John Hughes's The Breakfast Club and Some Kind of Wonderful uh, were snippets in there. Excellent movies. I know you've seen them. Um, how could I forget? I Dig Pain by Pain. Yeah. Somehow I don't think anyone has that record. From the greatest newscasts ever, uh, the ABC and CNN coverage of 9/11, and uh, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest newscasts I've ever heard, the John Stewart on the Daily Show, uh, his first show back after 9/11, an amazing thing to listen to. Um, the U2 live that you heard, uh, you heard part of it from the uh, Wide Awake in America album, and you heard part of it from uh, YouTube at the Zuropa Vision. I definitely recommend picking up any of those DVDs from that tour. It was incredible. And once again, the rest of the music you heard on here was from uh, my latest record, White Lighter. Uh, self-titled album, White Lighter on Northern Records. Thank you again so much for listening. Thank you so much for all the support and the letters and the shares. And by all means, keep them coming. Every time you share this show with somebody else, somebody new hears it, and they share it, and it's incredible. I, I can't thank you enough. Just sprinkling it out there, Johnny and Jenny Appleseed style. Where can you email me at? The Twilight Zone at ineverwas.com. Take part in this show. Make it happen. Rainbow out.